Hello and welcome to Season of the Witch with Rowan Oaken, the show where we spill the tea on the occult and read the leaves to filth. I'm your host Rowan and in this week's episode we're talking all about mindfulness. We'll be diving deep into its historical roots in early Hinduism and Vedic traditions, discussing its evolution and commercialization, and critiquing its role in managing stress in the context of modern capitalism. Ugh. But before I do that, I do want to give a big shout out and dedicate this episode to our most recent Apple podcast reviewer, who has the best name in the entire world, Mr. Fullbottom. <laughs> <laughs> which is the queerest name ever and i adore it i think it's it's brilliant now i've only recently just found out that i can switch the country where reviews take place and i didn't realize there were so many unread reviews so thank you so much listeners i'm so sorry it's not me it's apple it's apple blame apple so Monsieur Fullbottom writes, I love this podcast. Rowan is charming and not scared to be vulnerable. No matter the subject, he will make you laugh or at the very least smile. At the very least. Um, he's like an old friend you can plug into when you need it. He shares personal stories and his way of expressing the craft. I found inspiration in this podcast and use his insights in my daily life. Season three is already shaping up to be the best season yet. Rowan, thank you for sharing and I look forward to your next episode. Thank you so much, Senor Fullbottom. I uh, am glad you are enjoying the season and I appreciate your continued listenership. Um, I don't know whether my microphone is going to pick that up in the background. The cat is attacking a plastic bag right now. Um, he's now terrified by the the plastic bag. I think I think we're okay. I think we're safe. <laughs> let's, let's jump deep into the waters of mindfulness before um before anything chaotic happens. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing because it's now stuck in the back. I'm out to go help him. Okay, we're safe. <laughs> we don't have a suffocated cat. Let's do it. What were we doing? We were jumping. We were jumping deep, diving into mindfulness, and I'm quite. I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. Now, I made these notes quite some time ago. Um, my intention was to put this episode out way back in November, and it was such a busy month, and I just haven't had the opportunity to dedicate the time to this episode. Now, I will say that mindfulness is not something I have this great, steeped knowledge and awareness of Um and I'm approaching this from someone who's a real dabbler. Um, you know, I've gone in and out of mindful practices, uh, trying different things, liking some things, disliking others. And I was just really interested to dig into it a bit deeper, to think about those origins and to really question its place in modern spirituality, in modern society as well. So I'm going to start with kind of the the history and the concept of mindfulness um, or attentive attentive awareness that is used in early Hinduism and Vedic traditions. And I really I really like that word, and I'm going to continue to come back to that quite a few times. I think today. Um, now, attentive awareness is something that can be found in early Hindu scriptures, particularly the Vedas and Upanishads. I didn't look up how to pronounce that Upanishads. Correct me, please, everybody with knowledge. Um, and Hinduism's it's it's evolved over four thousand years in the Indus Valley, and and 
it's developed into what is this religious tradition in the Vedic writings between 2,500 and 3,500 years ago. And around, uh, I've got in my notes, around 1,500 years ago, these additional texts then introduced these concepts like Dharma, which if my shitty A-level is anything to go by in um, in doing religious studies, is, is kind of like a moral, ethical duty or law, a responsibility of life. That's a, a dharma. And I think the term gets used in Buddhist practices too and refers to these four noble truths, which are considered the path of liberation of this delicious wheel of suffering that we call life, this cycle of samsara, I think. And again, I'm not talking from this real big knowledge base here. These are just some brief notes that I'd made <laughs> quite some time ago. And then I'm talking about things that I haven't studied for, oh, 20 years. Um so that's 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 a kind of a bit of an origin there, and Hinduism then prescribes these different paths or yogas for different types of people. For instance, um, Jhana Yoga focuses on achieving holiness through knowledge and understanding. Bhakti Yoga, um, that's a prioritization on love and devotion. Karma Yoga, emphasizing work not for personal gain but for its um, own or even for a god's sake and raja uh, yoga involving meditation and inward exploration and when i think of raja i think of the drag queen <laughs> not as in o'hara as in raja gemini there we go uh, and these uh, some of these practices then include uh, different mantras uh, that are repeated to then focus the mind You've also got within that things like meditation, um, self-inquiry through meditation, this aim to understand your true nature. Now, I'm, I'm stumbling over this next part and I'm wondering whether I'm going to cut this out. So there's, there's a question I have around yoga and its origins. And I know it's, it's, it is something that does get debated within that community of in terms of who it's being co-opted by. You know, it's being co-opted predominantly by white middle class women um, in a modern 21st century Western world, as in yoga, yoga practices, yogic practices. And I would just be interested to hear from some of you what your what your thoughts are on that. I think sometimes it's done very well in terms of honouring that ancient spiritual practice but I think in some circumstances, it's been over-commercialized as a fitness practice in the Western world um, and monetized. I think that's that's the really, you know, the important thing in this whole wonderful late stage capitalist world that we live in is the monetization, the monetization of everything. And I feel like a real arse bringing that one up because I know so many of my listeners have yoga practices that they charge for. Um, please, bitches, make them coins. Annette Yoga, I'm talking about you. Everyone, go and check out Annette Yoga. I follow her on Instagram. Very good friends with her. Someone who's very mindful of their practice, its origins, and works really hard to learn and study the practice. But I just... It's something that I have questions about, about how it's being used. And, you know, and bl blame capitalism, not your gorgeous yoga practice. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and, it, you know, it's reciprocated. Yoga has changed. Yoga has adapted in modern India, where some Western practices have then been adopted. That's from the kind of the, the very, very narrow brief research that I've conducted on this one. It's 
This is an awful example. It's kind of like eating McDonald's when you're in Asia. It looks like a Big Mac, but it just tastes different. <laughs> oh, I can't believe I just said that. I could have thought of a much better analogy. Um, it, one thing I did note, it was, it was Andrew, I've got my notes. Andrea Jane in her book, Selling Yoga, points out that even though much of Western practice doesn't observe the Hindu roots, yoga is something that is malleable. But of course, there is an argument of is it Hindu property as such and something that has been sold to the West? So that's something that I just want you as a listener just to kind of really hold on to about that practice. And that's something we have done from day one in terms of respecting and acknowledging practices is have a deeper awareness and engagement with what you are practicing, why you're practicing it, honoring it where it's come from acknowledging where it's adapted, why it's adapted, um, and maybe even rejecting some of those adaptations because of that very reason. Now, still sticking with that route, in Hinduism, mindfulness is not just for emotional management or stress reduction or mental focus. Um, They're considered beginning level goals. It serves as this, again, this is me talking from secondary research I've conducted, not from a primary research, but um, not from a primary experience, not from a lived experience. Um, so for what, what I've read, it serves as a preparatory practice for something like Raja Yoga, leading to higher states of consciousness. And this spiritual and mystical aspect of mindfulness in Hinduism then contrasts with the often secular or non-spiritual approach seen in modern practices. Mindfulness is not so much about a state of spiritual being, but a state of being that is able to put up with the shit of capitalism. And this is something that I want to sit with a little bit more today, is where that concept is coming from and why it's coming from that direction in the first place. And now before I begin to unpack my thoughts on it, I do want you to sit and think on that one. Where do you see it being advertised? How do you see it being advertised? Why do corporations, corporations, what do I mean? Corporations, I feel like I'm saying that wrong. You know, why do businesses (laughs) offer mindful Mondays for their members of staff? I really want you to be kind of thinking of that as we go through. I want to shift into, because we're kind of going in this kind of linear fashion as well. We're we're kind of doing a history history fashion. We're doing a I was like, oh, it's linear. And then I was like, oh, no, it's not linear because I'm going to talk about Buddhism next. When, you know, we're talking about history. Oh, gosh, this is why I've not. This is what happens when you don't record for a month. So a lot of our current understanding of mindfulness as a concept in modern society have been heavily influenced by Buddhist teaching, as, as I kind of previously mentioned. And I've got in my notes here that the Buddha, who lived around the 5th to the 4th century BC, introduced mindfulness as part of the Eightfold Path to Enlightenment. And I think in there I'm referring to Siddhartha Gautama, um, but I'm not super sure on that one. And it's too late to look it up now, so I don't know. That's your homework. (laughs) Um, And in in Buddhism, mindfulness... um, which is is written as as, as sati in Pali, which I'm probably saying very wrong, um, is seen as a way to develop wisdom and understanding through attentive awareness to present the mo- uh, to, to the present moment uh, without judgment. Um, 
this this word sati in Pali and I and you know I'm just going to pick up on that I've got a ha- real habit of saying oh, I'm probably saying that wrong you know I'm saying something phonetically and I do think we should take the time to learn how to pronounce things that aren't our usual words within our language but also I think there needs to be a bit of forgiveness for it I think always have a go there's nothing worse than someone saying that name's really complicated. I'm not going to learn to pronounce it. You know, you motherfuckers learned to pronounce Tchaikovsky. I think you'll manage. Um, <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that one out there. Um, so that word, Sati in Pali, uh, can be translated to to remember or to observe, which I really like. I like the idea of just the observe, the observation. It's a moment to stop. It's an awareness. And this is the part that I worry has been left out of mindfulness in modern society. With awareness comes liberation. And a Western society isn't looking for liberated individuals. It's not looking to raise their consciousness, but something else. And that, I promise, I will get to. What a tease for today. What motherfucking tease. Now, perhaps the most influential figure in bringing mindfulness to the West is John Kabat-Zinn, and he founded the Center for Mindfulness at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and developed the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program, or MBSR. Now, MBSR was an or is an eight-week program that aims to reduce stress and has then been integrated into East. Um, into, it, sorry, no, it integrates Eastern mindfulness with Western science in an attempt to kind of make it more accessible to Western audiences. And Kabat-Zinn was inspired by the Buddhist teachings, including the Thich Nhat Hanh, and sought to apply mindfulness in a way that was free from cultural and religious connotations to appeal to a broader audience. Broadier. <laughs> Broad audience, not a broader audience. I'm so dumb. And this is where I feel we start seeing the problem. We start to see the co-opting for the West. We see a commercialization for the West. But worst of all, we see that it becomes a stress reduction program. Not something for raising consciousness or awareness. It's not a tool to liberate the individual. It is instead, and this you may think is quite a jump, it's a suppressor. I'll say that again because my mouth isn't working. It is a suppressor a tool to manage the stresses of Western capitalism. Mindfulness found its way into cognitive therapy, uh, meditation, Herbert Benson's 1975 work on relaxation, and we found ourselves with the concept of mindfulness today. Something to to detach ourselves from a reality back to our bodies to then go on and work in a stressful job once more. And now this is perhaps one of the first episodes where I've had a really strong opinion on something. And I'm someone who really believes in feeling emotions, experiencing and not suppressing the human condition. Oppression should be felt, externalized and managed, not internalized, suppressed and hidden. I feel that many mindful practices today are on managing the stress symptoms, but not the stresses. It's the the painkiller you take to the hammer on the hand. Just get rid of the bloody hammer. 
And this is why we see so many companies introducing mindfulness. It's there to make you a better worker in an increasingly stressful environment where you are asked to do more with less. I do take some issue to some of the mindful principles, such as observing thoughts and not labeling them. Uh, the idea of letting go of something you are holding on to. The idea of acceptance as something that can lead to greater resilience. And when you begin to reframe some of those principles of letting go, acceptance and resilience, what you realize is just how negative the co-option of the spiritual practice is in the workforce. What it's aiming to do is to create a um, a, passi- a passivity, a, a passivity and reduce critical thinkers. It's creating workers who are resilient to abhorrent corporate acts. And now that I've scared you shitless about mindfulness, I should probably say some good shit too. Now, an APA study showed that it can reduce anxiety, depression, stress, support issues with chronic pain, stuff like that. And Harvard Health Publishing said that it can increase the efficiency of brain pathways that process sensory information. So that means that individuals practicing mindfulness can experience things like enhanced attention, more accurate perception of sensory information. And these are really fabulous things. They're fantastic things. We want, we all want those things in our lives. But I think we have to be careful to never lose our critical thinking eye. And that's what we do best here on this podcast. We aren't looking to be passive witches. And now before I talk a little bit more about some of the kind of integration into witchy spiritual practices and um, maybe a little bit more about the integration of this into my own personal practice, I want to introduce our witchy business shout out this week. And this is from mindset coach Lucas Katz. Lucas specializes in assisting LGBTQIA plus individuals on their unique journey of self-discovery, tailoring his approach to the distinct experiences and challenges faced within the queer community. His primary focus is on helping his clients live their lives with reduced shame and stronger, healthier boundaries. Through varied methods, Lucas guides them in overcoming obstacles that hinder their progress. He supports his clients in developing dynamic strategies to achieve their personal and professional goals. Lucas encourages his clients to unapologetically occupy their space, amplify their voices, and assertively claim the life they deserve. His commitment is to illuminate the path forward together with each individual he assists. Now, Lucas reached out to me over on Instagram, which you are all listeners welcome to do so if you have a witchy business shout out that you would like to have featured on our show and you can do that by finding me over at sotw with rowan um now lucas reached out over to me on instagram um explaining what they do and i really like some of the conversations we had around mindfulness and the analogy that lucas uses around um thoughts and mindful feelings as well and processing those and uses the analogy of a monster's ink which I thought was really sweet and finding these monsters who are living in your closet and how they're really terrifying at first but then you kind of get to know them and you find out that they're just Mike and Sully and they they no longer scare you so kind of encountering these and processing these and I thought that was a, a really sweet way of thinking about it. 
Now, Lucas's information will be available in the show notes, but you can go over to Lucas's website at www. Do people still say www? We're doing on this show. I could start with HTTPS. <laughs> I'm not going to. www.lucascats.com. And Lucas is spelled L-U-C-A-S, cats, K-A-T-Z. I can't say Z, Z, I'm sorry. Z, I was like, how do I say Z again? I say Z, I'm British. <laughs> oh, so daft. So I guess the question is, how do you adopt any of this mindful practice without losing your witchy, bitchy, sassy and classy self? That's what we want to know. That's the question we want answered today. And I think it's about returning to mindfulness roots or mindfulness's roots. That was a mouthful. You know, this idea, this word awareness, I want you to hold that word. I'm actually holding my hands out to hold it, to hold awareness. <clears throat> and how do you adopt an attentive awareness in the world? That's that's the kind of question we want to be considering. So, for instance, you know, when engaging in a task, you can be fully present and observant, acknowledging thoughts and emotions as they arise without letting them dominate the experience. Be an objective observer over your own life. Use mindfulness to assert and to assess situations. Allow that sense of critical objectivity to stand outside of a situation and with a greater confidence that perhaps your emotional self couldn't achieve. Say no to the person asking too much of you. Assert yourself and set clear boundaries. And what this aims to seek is a critical mindfulness practice. One that acknowledges systems of power and oppression that may want us to be subservient or passive to our feelings. Find ways to capitalize on your own emotional objectivity to overcome power. Now, this could be as simple as looking at opportunities to journal. If it's assertiveness you are looking for, just journal for that. Uh, what is assertiveness? How do I attain it? What stops me from being assertive and why is that? What do I feel when I'm being assertive and where does that come from? Know thyself, bitch. <laughs> I want you to all consider mindful activism. The concept that mindfulness can be a tool for social change and resistance against oppressive systems. Witchcraft and pagan traditions, they've long emphasised a deep connection with nature, the cycles of the earth and the self. And mindfulness has really naturally found a place within those practices. It's encouraged a heightened awareness and presence that aligns with the core principles of so many different pagan paths. And that integration has likely evolved quite organically as pra practitioners sought to deepen their spiritual experiences and connect more profoundly with their rituals and the natural world. Um, but I do question how critically that's been introduced into ma many pagan practices. And this is, this is, there's no articles that I've read on this one, so I'm just making um, kind of a critical examination here. Is My guess is we're looking at something around the 70s, um, kind of leading on from Gardnerian Wicca and the appropriation of many closed spiritual practices into Wicca and how that has then been popularized, particularly more so in late 80s, 90s, with kind of the commercialization of witchcraft to young women um, 
in kind of a post-feminist era. And I might be incorrect there with regards to my timeline of feminism. It's not my speciality. It's not my research knowledge. Um, and I think we see aspects of mindfulness, um, Hindu, Vedic, Buddhist traditions, um, meditations and mindful practices being embedded into um, new age spiritualist traditions and wicca i think there's that that kind of area that we see that this coming into um but again i do think there is a, a real level and sense of commercialization that comes into that regardless of whether the intentions were good i think you know i i mentioned feminism and i think witchcraft really was so popular with so many young women who felt disenfranchised by the world and it gave power back to women and queer people as well. I think that's why we see so many LGBTQIA plus peoples who also identify as pagan and or spiritual or something similar. It's for that very nature, which we've talked about on the podcast before. Now, my personal experiences of mindfulness, I think has been a tricky one. Um, I've experienced it as something that's been asked me to quieten my mind or emotions. And I, I I have very strong emotions, really big. And there's something, something a bit triggering. Um, <laughs> I feel like when I say triggering, I have to do it in that, that voice. No, I feel like it needs that. That's just so triggering. I feel like I have to say it in that voice. Um, sorry, but I do. Um, but there is something that has a response in me that reminds me of being told to quiet down, to not be so gay, not be so flamboyant, not be so emotional, um, that I find coming into this. That's, that's, that's kind of my initial response. It's my initial caution, which is why I really have been trying to encourage thinking about mindful activism, which... I don't think it's a word I've come across before. There we go. We've coined something new today. It might exist somewhere. And I do have a very active voice in my head, one that's incredibly self-aware. And when I practice typical mindfulness practices, and when I say typical, when I use that word typical, what I'm referring to is the kind of audio tapes you might experience, the applications that you might download onto your phone, the websites that you might access, the kind of general material. I can hear an attempt to silence that voice. It's, it asks me to silence that voice. And I do have a concern about that. I know that I am in trouble when my voice quietens down in my head, um, as in mental health trouble. I know that's a problem for me. When I can't hear that active voice, it, it is a concern. Now, this is... Um, something I, I may have said I feel like I've said on the podcast quite recently actually is um when when I'm not doing okay the voice in my head says to me are you okay it checks in on me are you okay and that's the thing that keeps me in check is that is that internal monologue that internal conversation and I realize that you know I feel like I'm very lucky to have that internal monologue it might sound like I'm absolutely fruit loopy um it sounds maybe quite schizophrenic um which is maybe really rude of me to then use that word fruit loop in with schizophrenic together that's highly inappropriate and i do apologize for saying that um i know people who have diagnosis of schizophrenia and um and i apologize to them uh, for that one isn't it interesting actually um 
just how our language is shaped by the conversations that we've had in the past. And there are things that we don't realize are so offensive sometimes. And I think it's really important to own that and to own up to that and say and to acknowledge where that's come from. You know, that's a word that maybe my mum would use, uh, would, would have used um, being a Fruit Loop, um, which sounds like it actually it sounds like maybe they're a bit camp, <laughs> like a fruity. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, semantics, really interesting. Linguistics, let's get into it. Um, but yeah, when that voice quietens down and I, it's not checking in on me and it's not asking me whether I'm okay, that's bad. That's bad news for me. Um, so I'm, I'm very conscious of that with mindful practices because I've really relied on that voice to really help me out for so many years. Um, I'm a long-time listener to the show, know that I lost my mum young. I, I talk about it way more than I should. Um, but when I was when I was going through counselling, it was suggested that I see a GP to get some medical help for my what was being described as depression, um, which actually just led to the medica- medicalization, should I say, of my grief. I was given fluoxetine and citalopram, all to treat me for feeling sad that I'd lost my mum. And my home, I was homeless, um, not entirely homeless. You know, I ended up having a student loan that I used to pay for at my accommodation, but I had no home after that. I was homeless after that. And after a year on the medication, I opted to come off and it was a slightly derailing experience and was incredibly dark. I'm not going to lie. Um, it was as dark as you can begin to imagine. Um, I'm talking, you know, suicidal dark, um, we don't do trigger warnings on this podcast. Sorry. You know, but the weeks, the months and years that followed were periods of attentiveness, learning to listen to me and that voice, that voice that came back. Um, and I think that was when the voice first arrived. I, I, I learned to listen to my experiences, my grief, my sadness, my anger, and then to the world to reconnect with it again and to feel my place within it. Now, I am not saying do not medicate. Some of you bitches have chemical imbalances and need to sort that shit out with modern science. Get yourself some tablet skills. But what I'm saying is that your emotions are there for a reason. Do not ignore them. Don't let them consume you, but do connect with them. Learn to dialogue mindfully. And that's an, oh, dialogue mindfully. Mm, that's tasty, isn't it? And I think that really sits quite nicely with this um, idea of kind of a critical mindfulness, a mindful activism. I'm thinking Paulo Freire. I'm thinking the dialogic. Dialogue mindfully. Have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Be attentive to your thoughts. Allow them to connect with you and with the world around you. So let's close with a little mindful activism activity for you witchy bitches today. And so in this mindful activism activity, we're going to explore the connection, the connection between mindfulness and nature while nurturing your inner activist. So this is some notes that I've made just for something that we can all do. So things that you'll need to get you started, some comfortable clothing, footwear for outdoor exploration, maybe a notebook or a journal or even your phone. Record something on your phone. Um, If you're going to have a notebook or journal, you'll need a pen or a pencil. What you're going to do for this one is you're going to find a quiet and peaceful natural setting where you can engage in this activity. 
It could be a forest, a beach, or even your your garden, your backyard. Uh, ensure that you'll be undisturbed during this time. And I know we're entering winter, so do make sure you bundle up good scarves, hats, gloves. Although we have some listeners from the Southern Hemisphere who I've now discovered are leaving comments over on Apple Podcasts. So you will be lovely and warm. Enjoy this activity in the sunshine, you dastardly dogs. Um, begin just by taking some deep breaths, just to center yourself and kind of really hone in on your body and your your awareness and your attentiveness to your body. Um, listening to the tightness in your chest, the tension in your your shoulders. You're not. Um, I'm not someone who has to kind of let it all go straight away, but just be aware that it's there. Um, invite it to go away. Have a dialogue with your cranky shoulder, your achy headache. Feel the ground beneath your feet or the sensation of sitting on the earth. Um, that could just be the soggy arse of sitting on the grass. Um, and allow yourself to fully arrive in that present moment, a real awareness. We're not looking to sail off anywhere. We're not looking to float away. Completely the opposite. We're looking for being present. Then open your eyes and start to observe your surroundings attentively. Notice things like the colours, the shapes, the textures of the natural elements around you. Pay attention to the details of leaves, rocks or any other objects nearby. Now sometimes I will do this, I'll do this walking back from the gym. There'll be a sunrise over the bridge, over the water and I will stand there and I will put my hands on the railings. And I might feel the water, the the condensation or the frost, um, the ice that has settled on there and what that feels like in my body and what reaction my body has to it. And compare that cold with the warmth from the sun on my face. Um, Look at the interaction between my body as it breathes out into the air and creates condensation. And then think about that connection of the condensation from the air the um that the that formation then on the the railing the handle that I'm holding to on the bridge just really being attentive just connecting what um so you know we're engaging in those senses we're thinking about things in our natural environment um you may at this point want to take a slow walk um focus on what you can see what you can hear smell touch really name those things um you know, feel the breeze on your skin. It could be listening to birds. It could be listening to the sound of the flow of a river, inhaling the sense of the outdoors, which sometimes in Kent is actually just vapes and weed. <laughs> um, if you're not far enough in the countryside, of, of course, Kent's got some lovely places. I shouldn't trash chalk, trash chalk, trash talk, Kent. Although, you know, anyone from Kent, you, you know what we're talking about. You know, at this point, you might want to sit down with your book, uh, your notebook, your journal, your phone. You could even walk with it. Sometimes I do voice notes uh, just to capture it. Sometimes I never even look back at this shit. And I'll write down those observations of those sensory experiences or I'll record them in some way. Use some descriptive language to capture the essence of the environment. And just note down any emotions. I'd like to capture any thoughts that are arising during this process. And then I'll take a moment to reflect maybe on my nature as I've mentioned with the, the the nature and the environment thinking about my impact on it how I'm connected to it um, how my life's influenced by it and I might write down some of my thoughts and feelings about that connection that importance 
And what I wanted to start doing as well is thinking about our own life's activism. So our connection, but also our will to shape, change and move within that. And I might start beginning to think about, for the day, some kind of mindful intention or self-activism that I want. What issue is most important to me that's arising? How can I connect with nature to be inspired or to inform that activism that I'm hoping to achieve? And I might write down that intention or aspiration that I have there in that moment. And that's just something super simple that you can do. You could sit down, you could do it walking. Um, I do lots of walking where I'm doing that sort of thinking. um, And I'd really encourage you to have a go too. Um, If you can, try and do get the music out your ears um i've got the worst habit of doing that i've got i've got a really bad habit actually of um i'll put headphones in and not even turn them on uh when i'm in certain places because i'm just like i don't want interactions with anyone which is a different thing i'm sure um but trying to have that level of attentiveness that's what we're looking for and there we have it it's it's our tasty little episode on mindfulness probably not what you're used to getting or hearing out in the regular discourse on mindfulness, but that's that's what we're here to do here on Season of the Witch. We're critical thinkers who are attentive in our practice. So next time when your boss forwards you an email for a freaking mindfulness workshop, tell them to fuck off. Go touch some grass. Flip them off from outside the office. Don't Please don't get fired. Please don't get fired. If they think it's funny, do it. If you can get away with it, do it. <laughs> but you know just really you know go to those sessions and be critical be mindful be mindful of the mindfulness workshop now if you want to sound off at me about how much you have been offended by today's episode uh, you can do so over at sotw with rowan um on instagram or by sending me an email at season of the witch podcast at gmail.com and i have seen some emails coming in uh, quite a few actually now for our cauldron of candor our big helping of cock which will be coming up in our next episode so thank you very much to all of you who have been sending emails in cauldron of candor is our platform it's kind of like our witchy agony aunt platform so i will be reading um maybe one or two or definitely one (laughs) um letters out um in our next episode and um helping to not solve but problematize some of those issues on our podcast and of course we are coming up to that yuletide season i can't believe how fast it's come round. i would love to be putting out some kind of yuletide episode i don't know what that looks like you'd let me know what you want perhaps um i did an episode in the past where my husband came up and we did a little little bit together and maybe we'll do something like that again because i thought that was a really sweet episode and he really enjoyed it too he thought it was really special so maybe we'll do something like that again you've been listening to uh, season of the witch with rowan oaken and i've been your host rowan now don't forget to stay witchy bitchy sassy and classy my mindful activists ta-ra